Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. We are working on a memory verse, key verse in Hosea. It's found in chapter 6, verse 6. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's displayed on the screen behind me. Let's say that verse together this morning. We will begin with the reference. Read, quote the verse, and then we will end with the reference. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 6, 6. Hosea is all about God's love. God's unconditional love to his people. God's unfailing love that met his people even when they were struggling in their lives. Even when they walked away from God. We gave you an outline of Hosea last week and it began with the understanding that God's love is displayed. And it is displayed in Hosea as God sent a word to his prophet and said, go marry an unfaithful woman. And in that picture, we discover that even when we are unfaithful, God's love is there for us. Chapters 4 through 12, which we will look at this morning, talk about God's love being tested. And the last chapter, chapter 14 of Hosea, talks about God's love being victorious in our lives. I went to a website this past week. It was called a love tester. I wanted to see how it identified my love for Connie. The website asked that I simply type in my name and my significant other to determine what our love score was. Babe, I want you to know that Dr. Love at his website says we have a 75% chance of making it. Now, I went to another website, and I put in our names. And as the score came back from this website, it says simply, our names were given to us for a reason. Very often, there is also a meaning behind our names. This original love tester gives us the probability of a successful relationship between any two persons using their names. Our probability of success was only 45%. I don't think names mean much. But people walk away from their relationships. And as you look at the reasons people fall from their relationships, they fall because of selfishness. They fall because of not making their relationship a priority. Angry outbursts and rage are a key factor in relationships and infidelity. And as I look at those four reasons that relationships fail, I see those in my relationship with my God. And it's identified as sin. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see how God's people tested his love. And how God then responded with love for his people. Are you in Hosea chapter 4? 
verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. Now stop right there. This is the second time in the book of Hosea where God has spoken personally to an individual. He did that to Hosea in chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll tell you that had God not spoken to Hosea personally, Hosea never would have done what God told him to do. God now speaks personally to his people, Israel. And he says, For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. This is not a good thing. When you and God are at opposite ends of the spectrum, it is not a good thing. When you have an argument with God, Guess who's going to win? When you have a controversy with the almighty, holy one of Israel, the creator of the universe, let me tell you that your opinion's pretty insignificant. This morning, I had the opportunity to teach the Berean class. And as I taught the Berean class, I gave my opinion on a particular subject, and I said to them, this is worth everything you're paying for it, which is not much. When you and I stand before God, God is not going to ask us, what do you think about this? God is going to ask, are you willing to obey my Now, God's love, as he examines the people, looks honestly at their lives. And if we are to understand what our relationship with God needs to be as we grow in the relationship, we need to have an honest evaluation of our lives. I talked with a young man this past week. And as he's struggling in his relationship, I said to him, I said, Both you and your significant other need to make some changes. Because if you don't, you cannot expect any different results. You know the definition of insanity, don't you? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. How many times in our Christian lives... Does God identify something that we are unwilling to deal with? And so we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and expecting to have a better relationship with God. Love looks at sin honestly. And frankly, it doesn't matter whether it's your relationship with God or your relationship with somebody else. Because sin divides any relationship. God now tells them what their sin is. The last part of verse 1. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. 
Remember, this is the word of God coming to his people. This is God's evaluation of where his people are. This is God's recognition of the heart of his people. You know, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the the inside, on the heart. And how many times do you and I try to clean up the outside without understanding that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who can know it? You see, many times we deal with surface issues. We never get down deep and deal with that which really makes a difference, and that's the heart. Did you notice the violations? No faithfulness. No steadfast love. No understanding of the knowledge of God. Now, you wonder why you put that last one in there. I mean, faithfulness we get, right? Steadfast love we recognize. What's this got to do with the knowledge of God? May I remind you that when we really know who God is, we cannot stay the same. It will change our lives. Connie and I this year will celebrate 45 years of marriage. Pretty good for 75 percenters, huh? (laughs) I understand Connie a whole lot better today than I did the day we were married. The day we were married, we were just naive kids. We had no clue. And because I understand her better today, our love has deepened. Now, she also understands me better today, too. And our love has deepened. And the more we understand God, the deeper our love for God will be. No faithfulness. No steadfast love. No knowledge of God. And did you notice what Hosea says? No knowledge of God in the land. Boy, this could have been written about the United States of America, couldn't it? I trust it could not be written about Calvary Baptist Church family. Now there are some consequences that come with this. Verse 2. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Wow. You know, sin is a big deal to God. Most times in our lives, sin's an oops. I messed up. Oops. I made a oops. I goofed. Oops. But you know, sin to God is an, oh my, what has happened? stuff here swearing lying murder stealing adultery breaking all bonds bloodshed that follows 
nothing is sacred when you forget about a holy, sovereign God. And you know why that is? That's because if we're not accountable to a holy, sovereign God, then we're only accounting accountable to our own selves and our own culture. And we can do what's right in our own eyes because it really doesn't matter. What is the first word of verse 3? I'm sorry? Therefore. And anytime there's a therefore, you do what? You find out what is the therefore. Here's the therefore. There are always consequences when we step away from God's love. <laughs> there are always consequences when we step away from God's love. Look with me down at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned. Think about that. The more blessed they became, the more they got, the more they went away from God. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. They rejected truth. That's what they did. A couple of weeks ago, I had a call from one of our students who were at Moody. Preston Hawksworth called me and he said, I'm taking a class and I need to interview someone about leadership. I said, well, I don't know why you chose me, but I'm willing to do that. He said, well, it had to be somebody who's been in ministry over 10 years. Okay, I qualify. He said, as a spiritual leader, what excites you? I said, seeing people grow in their relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and living out his word in their lives. You want to float my boat? Share with me what God's doing in your life. You want to excite me? Tell me how you have taken the word of God and applied it to whatever circumstance you're facing. You want to get me, yippee! Share with me about your spiritual growth. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. And it makes a difference in our lives. Amen? And if it doesn't, it's not because of the Word, it's because of us. He had a follow-up question to that. He said, what disappoints you in ministry? I said, people knowing what they should do when they struggle 
but are unwilling to do it. Hmm? If you know to do right and don't do it, the Bible says it's sin. Pretty simple, huh? They rejected truth. Now, I think it's important that we understand what sin is. And let me just identify it for you real quickly. Two passages in 1 John. You may want to write these down. 1 John chapter 3, sin is lawlessness. It's going against God's law. 1 John chapter 5 says all unrighteousness is sin. And the word for sin used in the New Testament is a Greek word, and it's the same concept in the Old Testament. Means missing the mark. What is God's mark for our lives? We studied it in 1 Peter. 1 Peter identifies it in Leviticus. What is God's mark for our lives? Be holy because God's mark for our lives is holiness. Say nobody's perfect. That's true. But imperfection is not the target. The target is holiness in our lives, right? And sin is anything that misses the target. I am a depraved sinner saved by the grace of God. And God's grace is giving to me what I do not deserve. And I do not deserve a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. But Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's love. But if we're to grow in that love, we have to see our sin honestly. And recognize that we need to work on a relationship before God. Now, Hosea is a book that gives to us a lot of word pictures. And there are six word pictures that God gives to us to help us understand what our lives look like when we violate his truth. Now, this should not surprise us because we do this too, right? We use illustrations and we, we use stories and, and, and we use analogies to, to, to try to understand truth. Jesus spoke in parables, right? To help us understand truth. Well, God uses here some, some pictures to help us understand these truths. Look down at verse 16. It's the first picture of chapter 4. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Stubborn heifer. Think about that. I love the 23rd Psalm. How about you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Isn't that great? Leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For he is with me, his rod and his staff, he comforts me. Prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the Lord, house of the Lord forever. <sighs> Amen? 
Let me tell you something. Those sheep only experience those benefits if they follow the shepherd. And here, God calls his people stubborn heifers. Now, maybe the better analogy for us is stubborn mules. Well, that picture's pretty convicting. Let's move on. Chapter 6. Look with me at verse 4. What shall I say to you, O Ephraim? Now, let me stop right there. As you read Hosea, you will discover that God many times calls his people Ephraim. Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom. They were children of Ephraim. Ephraim was the youngest son of Joseph. He was blessed above Manasseh. You'll remember when Joseph went in and, and Jacob was doing the blessing. He, he, he switched the boys' heads and, and, got, and Joseph said, don't do that. This is Manasseh's the older one, Ephraim's the young one. And Jacob said, I've done what I've done. The house of Ephraim is also the house of Israel. Back to verse 4, chapter 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. <laughs> That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? It appears for a moment and then vanishes doesn't last it's nice for a while but it's just like a morning cloud and dew that evaporates and is no more how quickly our lives dry up well that's pretty convicting too let's move on Chapter 7, verse 8. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. God uses the analogy of being half-baked. <laughs> J.E. Smith in his commentary on the Minor Prophets says this. Cakes of bread were baked on hot ashes or red-hot stones. If the cake was not turned, it burned on the bottom side and was gooey on the top side. The point is that the citizens of Israel were neither true worshipers of Yahweh nor out-and-out -out followers of Baal. In religion, they were mongrels, inconsistent, and worthless hybrids. Such half-baked commitment was ruinous to the nation. One of the things that I have learned in our marriage is that when barbecuing, the goal is not to get whatever is on the barbecue done as quickly as possible. That used to be my goal. Turn it up, throw it on, get it off, here it is. Now that did not lend itself to 
fine-tasting meat. I've learned. You have to be patient. God calls his people unbaked cakes. (laughs) Black on one side, gooey on the top. As Smith says, mongrels, half-breeds. Well, that's pretty convicting. Let's go down to verse 11 of the same chapter. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. (laughs) You ever watch a bird at a bird feeder? I mean, why in the world don't they plant themselves and stay put and get the meal? You ever wonder? I mean, they go and pick a little bit, and then they go off someplace else and come back and... That seems to me like that's a lot of wasted energy. God calls his people silly doves that flit, fly from one tiny morsel to another. Verse 16 of the same chapter. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Israel. Now, treacherous bow there is an interesting phrase. It has the idea of a weapon, a bow, that is unreliable. I have a couple of bows at home. I guess I only have one now because I gave one to my son. And a couple of years ago, I, I went out to practice. And by the way, shooting a bow or shooting a gun or those kinds of things are deteriorating skills. And if you don't practice, you don't get any better. Kind of like golf. Every spring, I see how my skill has deteriorated. Right, Brent? Brent's my golf partner. But this treacherous bow won't shoot straight. And you line it up, and you get ready to let it go, and it goes, boing! God is describing his people as non-straight shooters. He's describing them as unreliable. Oh, they get pointed at the right target, but they never hit it because they veer off course and never follow through. One more. Jump over to chapter 10, please. Verse 1, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. God describes them as a worthless vine. They aren't doing what they were intended to do. 
I will not take time this morning, but we could, could go to, to John chapter 10. Where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth fruit. And then he makes this incredible statement. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> they were doing nothing. You see, in order for us to know God's love, we must honestly look at our sin. Now, there's some overarching consequences to sin. Let me give them to you just very quickly. Back to chapter 6, please. Hosea chapter 6. I'm sorry, Hosea chapter 8. I'm sorry. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap like a whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, and it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. A whirlwind, a tornado coming down, coming in and tearing up anything that was good. Verse 13 of the same chapter. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will return their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall never devour her strongholds. It shall and it shall devour her strongholds. Fire. Wow. Chapter 9, verse 11. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. <laughs> Gone. The overreaching consequences of their sin was that there would be a terrible whirlwind that would come in and destroy everything. Fire would descend and devour it, and it was just like a bird that was here and gone. But let me get to the good stuff. Chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I, says the Lord, who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. They did not know I healed them. I led them by the cords of kindness and with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to, to them to, to feed them. Jump down to verse 8, please. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Edmah? How can I treat you like Zeboiim? By the way, Adam and Zeboiim were two cities that were right next to Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. 
when Lot fled the city. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Did you see the voice of God? Did you hear the voice of God? Did you understand the love of God? Did you recognize that God holds his people so dear that his faithfulness is evidenced even in the midst of their sin? Did you hear God speaking to his people? Did you hear the tenderness in his voice? Can you identify with the loving heavenly Father who does everything that he can do to display his love to his people? And here's the truth. God will speak in a way that allows us to know his love. Amen. Whatever's going on in our lives, God will get our attention in a way that brings us back to him, and that is love. Even if it involves discipline in our lives. Hebrews says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And discipline is a proof that we are the children of God. And so God enters our world and invites us to return to him. Back to chapter 6, please. Come, verse 1, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Verse 6, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than Peter asked the Lord a question. He said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? 
Peter answered his own question. Seven times? The Lord came back and said, no, not seven times, but 70 times. Seven. Which is an uncountable number. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And here is the truth. There is always a way back to God. Amen. Is that good news this morning? Is that encouraging news this morning? Does that help you as you anticipate what's before you this week? Amen. You see, it's all about God's love. And God looks at our sin honestly. And there are overarching consequences to our sin When you hear the voice of the Lord, you find the way back. And that's all about 